Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. You deserve a moment to yourself every single day. And a delicious bite of a Keebler Sandies can give you that comforting pause. Don't forget to pack the melt-in-your-mouth magic of a Keebler Sandies for a post-lunch pick-me-up. This magic is baked into simple shortbread cookies by Ernie and the Keebler Elves. So as life continues to fly by, make the most of your me moment. Take a pause and enjoy a Keebler Sandies. Hello, and welcome to a musical journey like no other, giving you an in-depth, invigorating, and exclusive look at the newest Smashing Pumpkins concept album, Autumn. This is 33 with William Patrick Corgan, and this is the 17th step on this interstellar musical expedition. If it's your first time listening, welcome to 33. If you've been with us since the very beginning, thanks for being fans. Thanks for tuning in. On this episode, like almost every episode of 33, we have a world premiere of a song from the album, Autumn. This time, the song is titled Space Age. As always, we're going to break down the story, the lyrics, the melody of the song with Smashing Pumpkins frontman Billy Corgan. We're also diving into classic tracks from the Billy Corgan catalog. Today, we're listening to and enjoying the song Luna off the 1993 album Siamese Dream. Our guest on this episode of 33 is television personality, journalist, and host of the podcast Reinvented with Jen Eckhart. It's Jennifer Eckhart joins us. We're going to be talking about corporate media and its impact on society, her experience seeing the Smashing Pumpkins in concert, and her relationship with Smashing Pumpkins music, and much, much more. Billy was a recent guest on Reinvented, and that episode is available now wherever you get your podcasts. Also flying high with us on this journey is my friend and broadcast partner, Kyle Davis, who is currently stranded in Connecticut due to the recent airline debacle. So I guess you're really not flying that high, Kyle. 
Yeah, flying high. Thank you for that. Uh, I decided to make a leap, come back home for the holidays, try to make a connection with somebody from my past. And let's face it, things haven't worked out the way I planned, but that's important, guys. Still risk. You never know what's going to happen. Maybe everything will work out for a reason. This is the 33 Podcast. Make sure you're using the hashtag WPC33 spelled out on social media. We want to hear from you. Maybe you're having an existential crisis like I am. Uh, And basically, WPC33.com is going to have all the other information you need about this podcast. New Year, WPC. My resolution is to work on myself because I can't rely on other people to love me the way I need to love me first. Do you have a resolution you'd like to share with the fans? You know, Kyle, uh, as usual, your question is intuitive and focused, and I am, for the first time in a long time, maybe ever, I'm planning on doing a bit of a mood board, whiteboard, on my uh, 2023. I feel it's time to uh, re-clarify my priorities in my life. I'll be getting married in 2023, which is obviously a big deal, but there's other things that I want to accomplish, and as my children are getting a little older now and I can focus a little more on myself, 2023 is going to be a very important year for me, so thank you for asking, and um, I would encourage anyone else to really Spend a little bit of this time before the year kicks in to focus on yourself and make sure that you're going to get out of this year what you need, because if you don't take care of yourself, it's really hard to take care of others. So very excited today on the podcast because uh, this song, Space Age, is probably one of my biggest, biggest favorite songs on the record. So let's talk about the story first a little bit, since we always like to talk about the narrative, and then I can talk about the recording a bit because I really, really love the way this song has turned out, and I look forward to you hearing the song today. It's been a while since we checked in on Shiny as he's floating off towards the sun. I mean, yeah, Shiny's always kind of in the story, you know, the real Shiny. Remember the guy at the beginning of the of the musical? So we actually check back in here on Shiny, and we see the spacecraft floating towards the sun, but now we see the sun's getting really, really big. There's a word that I can't say correctly, and I'm probably going to say it wrong. Perhelion, perhelion, I believe is the word. And uh, what that means is you reach a point... Uh, in the gravity of the sun where there's no return. Let's say his ship is at the edge of the perihelion. So meaning if he goes any further, if he goes any further, he's going to be in a point of his ship is going to go straight into the sun and burn up. That doesn't mean it's going to happen instantaneously. It means he won't be able to escape the gravity of the sun. And so uh, we come in on shiny reaching the perihelion and out of nowhere, the seraphim, if you remember, these are the angels that sort of are the, the Greek chorus in the musical who can add sort of an overt outside commentary. Uh, they sing the song Space Age to Shiny about his purpose in life and how he's so important to what's going to happen next, meaning that what happens to him uh, has an effect on billions of people back on Earth. And it's not expressed in the musical, but his ship actually stops for reasons which are unstated in the musical. So did they stop it? Did God stop it? Did he stop it? Did the government back on Earth have some ability to stop the ship? The ship stops dead, and they sing this song to Shiny about his true purpose. Uh, And since we're going to talk a lot today on the podcast about the truth, in this context, it's his true spiritual purpose. And what I mean by that is, let's call it the butterfly effect, where one person can make all the difference in the world. Uh, I really do believe that in my heart. Uh, I've had vast discussions with people of different religious faiths about the purpose of every individual soul to contribute and how no soul on this planet should be diminished in any way possible. And I certainly grieve for where I've diminished others as I've gone along in my messy, zigzaggy journey. So um, hopefully I won't do that anymore. And if I do, I apologize in advance. So that's sort of the setup on the song. A little bit about the recording, and then if you gentlemen have any questions. One of our favorite producers slash engineers, which is a name most people would not commonly know from rock history, is Gus Dudgeon. 
Gus Dudgeon would most famously be known as the producer of Elton John. So when you think of like Tiny Dancer and Rocket Man, it was Gus Dudgeon who was at the helm for a lot of those records. Gus Dudgeon defined in many ways the preeminent sound from a recording perspective of the 70s. A person who learned a lot from Gus Dudgeon and who I talked to about Gus Dudgeon a lot was Roy Thomas Baker, who most people would know did Queen, Bohemian Rhapsody, Cars, stuff like that. Roy, who worked with the Pumpkins on Zeitgeist. Roy talked a lot about Gus Dudgeon's ability to create organic, but really clear and beautiful sounds. So, of course, everybody knows the Elton John record. So next time you listen to an Elton John classic track from back in the day, that's Gus Dudgeon behind the board. So we wanted a Gus Dudgeon-type production. So there's a little nod in here to Rocket Man, and there's certainly a big nod in this track to Gus Dudgeon. And also a bit of love to uh, Jeff Lynn of Electric Light Orchestra, who used to do this particular recording technique where they were able to um, double up the drums. So if you think of ELO's drum sounds like Don't Bring Me Down, stuff like that, there's this kind of big sluggy drum sound. We kind of ripped off that technique. Howard was able to recreate it with Jimmy's drums. So we're able to sort of steal that Jeff Lynn uh, drum technique. So there's a nod here to ELO. There's a nod here to Gus Dudgeon and, of course, Elton John. And so it's a beautiful song that sort of moves the narrative along in a really pretty way. There aren't a lot of pretty songs on this record, and this is a really, really pretty song. In fact, I had to do an event last night at Zuzu's for I'm going to be on the NBC uh, broadcast. I'm not sure when this uh, uh, telecast You have just done it. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. The telecast that I was just on, well, we taped it last night at Zuzu's, and I thought about playing this song, but I was conflicted since the song was coming out. And of course, I wanted the world premiere to be here on the 33 podcast. Hopefully you can imagine or see me sing this song acoustically at some point. Uh, I certainly look forward to playing this song with the band. This song, I think, will go down quite well live. Joe, you have a question? Yeah, you know, in first listening to it, it's so weird that you brought up the ELO because that's kind of where my mind went with the way that the song feels and stuff. But I think what's so interesting is when we look at the story structure and the ship stopping and not knowing if it's fate or a choice, or a choice that's made by the person in the ship or a choice made by someone else. And so that gives so much more depth to the story and, and different angles for where we can go and how it can reflect on your life as to how things can change, whether it's the choices that you make or choices that others will make for you. Well, there's a politically incorrect saying that you can't say anymore, but there, it, you all fill in the blanks. You know, there's used to say at hockey games, it's not over till the, the blank lady sings. Life is really, really complicated in that way. And Kyle, of course, talks quite openly at times on this podcast about his personal struggles. Uh, having been in that whether it's suicidal ideation or having those really rough days where I'm like, I can just not handle what's happening to me today. And you just, you can't, you don't, you can't seem to escape, you know, the rat in the cage can't get out of that cage that day. It's important to understand that until you uh, breathe your last breath here, you have tremendous opportunities to help heal, contribute, and really be a part of greater society. And remember, and we talk about this, or we will be talking about this, remember that Oftentimes, the way other people define your contribution isn't accurate. It's not the true definition. Think of how many people in this world are making a difference right now as we speak that will never hear their name, will never know what they do. If you believe in God like I do, I'd like to think that somewhere up there, somebody's keeping some form of score. But let's say there's nobody keeping score. It's still important to contribute because it does something to the human heart. It opens it up for greater opportunity. And I do believe that nature and everything around you tends to align when you're in service, when you're in flow, to use the new age term. So we're trying to get Kyle here in flow as Kyle sits in a car, freezing his tukas off in Connecticut. You Kyle? mentioned that fate and is it the seraphim? Is it this, that, the other thing? 
as usual, you were just hitting me on every level. You never know if the universe is trying to tell you something and if you're doing the wrong thing. So again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're enjoying the podcast, if you're enjoying the album and it's hitting you on a certain level, I just want to make sure that you're hitting us up. WPC 33 is the way to go. I, I'm just in awe right now because literally you were speaking on every level to my life, Billy, and it is killing me because I have no idea what the hell the universe is trying to do. At the risk of jumping into something personal without giving facts and details, I find that when the universe is talking loudly, you need to listen. Now, the question becomes, what is the universe trying to tell me? You know somebody's knocking at the door, and even if you open the door and there's nobody standing there, you know somebody knocked at the door, right? I find that the simplest version of what you think you're hearing tends to be the correct version. Um, If you can distill down the fact of what you're hearing down to something that's very, very simple, it tends not to be complicated. I don't know why, but my experience is the simple thing is the best thing. So I hope that's helpful, too. I was going to get popcorn in a movie theater as a joke about something. And I was, the popcorn machine caught fire and almost down, burned down the movie theater instead. And I was like, flight gets delayed. And then all of a sudden afterwards, my flight to leave here gets delayed. So I'm like, am I supposed to be here? Am I not? Billy, all I know is your music's hitting me and I hope it's hitting the fans the same way. Well, unlike EC3, you need to stop trying to control the narrative. There's your wrestling insider joke for the day. Joe? Yeah, you know, and speaking of wrestling at the end of the month on uh, the 31st, If you're in the greater Knoxville area and you like professional wrestling, come on out for our first ever live NWA Power. It's going to be at the Knoxville Convention Center. Tickets available at nwatix.com. But we have a huge show, a lot of conversation coming up with Jennifer Eckert. So she's going to come up after the break. But first, we're going to take us just a little pause, and then we're going to come back with the world premiere of Space Age. We'll be right back. Now available for pre-order at MadamZuzus.com. The autographed 4LP box set of Autumn, the new album by The Smashing Pumpkin. This 4LP colored vinyl pressing is limited to 1,333 units and will be machine numbered and autographed by the Smashing Pumpkins, Billy Corrigan, Jimmy Chamberlain, James Eha, and Jeff Schroeder. The limited edition box set includes the three-act, 33-song rock opera that is Autumn and 10 exclusive unreleased songs over the course of five seven-inch singles that will not be available for streaming or found anywhere else. Go to MadamZuzus.com to pre-order today. Free shipping in the USA, three-unit limit for order. Pre-order will ship after April 21st, 2023. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Welcome back to the 33 Podcast, friends. William Patrick Corgan here, your intrepid guide and host with my friends Joe and Kyle. Space Age is the song. I kind of set it all up, so there's not much else to say other than sit back and enjoy. I certainly love the first line, which I'll probably misquote, but it's something like stars that follow. Stars that follow. So follow me to Space Age. Stars
Welcome back, music fans. We just listened to the world premiere of the song Space Age, and it is my pleasure and honor to introduce our guest on today's podcast, Jennifer Eckhart. Welcome to 33 with William Patrick Horgan. Thank you guys so much for having me. You know, it's great to be on the show. I took a golf cart, rental car, air tram, plane, taxi, and two subways just to get here to be with you guys. The only thing I didn't take was a boat, but I did one. I did use one of those moving sidewalk things that they have in the airports, you know, to make up for time. So happy to I be here. I appreciate your dedication. <laughs> We're not used to comedy here on the podcast, so thanks for adding some levity. Um, Sorry. Full disclosure, Jennifer's a friend of mine, and I asked her on here because she has a career in professional broadcasting. She worked for one of those megalith corporate media companies. We're not here to necessarily talk about why she left that company, but if you want to see that, uh, you can Google away. Uh, We're really here to talk about what I call the post-truth era, which I will set that up in a second. But uh, Jennifer's here as an expert in media because, uh, like myself, she's been behind the wizard's curtain for years, and so she understands the difference between, let's call it, the truth of the common person and the truth as it's sort of dished out by those who have an interest in controlling the truth. And it's something we talk a lot about here on the podcast. So Jennifer, welcome. Thank you for making some time today in this busy holiday season. Thank you, Billy. So I just have to start this off by saying you did come on my podcast show, Reinvented, and you did say, direct quote, that you had no respect for journalists and that your band messing with journalists sort of became a part-time vocation for the Smashing Pumpkins. So is that why I'm here? No, but um, (laughs) I will say, though, just you positing that sort of quote, it sounds a bit hyperbolic, but overall, I think I figured out pretty early on, circa 1990, even before the band's first album, that journalists, as they were presented to me in my youth, as an institution to be sort of respected, that they were, you know, it was uh, what I grew up with on Superman. You know, uh, Clark Kent was after the truth, and he was going to get to the truth no matter what, even if he had to take off his glasses. And then kind of, lo and behold, finding myself behind the media curtain circa 1990 and realizing that because the Smashing Pumpkins and myself didn't fit into some comfortable narrative, they were willing to batter us and lie about us. So that was a big uh, bowl of cold water on my then uh, trousled head of beautiful locks because, you know, I, I, like a lot of people in America growing up in the seventies and eighties, I really believed in Walter Cronkite and everything that I was being told. Uh, The idea that the media has an agenda is not a new narrative that of course goes back to the time of William Randolph Hearst and yellow journalism and stuff like that. But we grew up in an era where the institution of journalism was presented as something to sort of strive for. People Mm -hmm. went to college for it. Obviously they still do, but I'm saying it was, it was presented as a honorable vocation So that kind of sets up a a little bit of my spiel. Why don't you comment on that a little bit before I dive into my sort of movie review of the day? Yeah, you know, I I love the George Orwell quote, even though I don't necessarily agree with his politics, but during times of universal deceit, telling the truth becomes a revolutionary act. I, you know, just piggybacking off what you said, I think what's most troubling is that we're getting to a place where truth is subjective which is a pretty dangerous place to be as a society. You keep hearing people say these days, I'm sharing my truth. There is no such thing. There is no my truth. There is just the truth. You know, whether you like the guy or not, leaving politics out of the discussion, uh, political commentator Ben Shapiro always says, facts don't care about your feelings, you know, and like regardless of which side of the political spectrum you fall identify with, There's a lot of truth in that. And I think people today are longing 
for truth. You know, I've always believed that religion has become too political and politics has become too religious. And I think of the media sort of in that same light in that it's sort of lost its way over time and comes across just very disingenuous. You know, the mainstream media doesn't have very much credibility in my view, or at least left in today's modern day society, you know, and I can say that with authority, having worked at the highest levels of media for a decade. And Billy, like you said, you and me have both been behind the wizard's curtain, you know, for many years. And I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, there's just, there's nowhere I can go to just get straight news, no political spin, no manufactured narratives, just facts. And Then you get into the whole debate, well, what constitutes as news, right? Because what's the lead story on CNN won't necessarily be the lead story on Fox News or ABC's Good Morning America. So the news has sort of become a matter of reporting on whatever suits the political narrative of the institution you work for believes in. And, you know, I've experienced that firsthand. Full disclosure, my son Augustus once played tennis with Ben Shapiro's daughter. That is a true story. Took a tennis class with her. Uh, (laughs) So if we're we're talking about truth, I'm going full disclosure here today. Jokes aside, I told Jennifer when we were going to talk today that I wanted to talk a little bit about the new movie Babylon, which is set in the 1920s on the uh, nadir of the silent age moving into the talking age. But just to talk real quickly on what you were touching on, I just want to point out something because I think it's important to sort of clarify sort of the, the lines of discussion. People in power, and I've said this repeatedly on this podcast, have every reason to bend the truth. So let's start with a definition of the truth. My definition of the truth would be something we all sort of generally agree upon. Like we all generally agree upon that there's gravity. Now, not everyone seems to agree that the earth is round. In my mind, as an open-minded person, that's a discussion worth having. I don't like when somebody shouted down saying, no, you're wrong, the earth is round, because we all have those examples of where, you know, the sun wasn't the center of the universe and people were executed and stuff like that. So let's call it the truth is something we generally agree upon. And as we've seen here in the last 10 to 15 years in America, uh, the truth now is uh, is under a constant attack. And usually if you look behind the person attacking, they're usually connected to some sort of group that has a reason for wanting to unravel that truth. Oftentimes I agree with the, not necessarily what they're after, but the question that's being posited. As I said on our, I think our last podcast, if you're afraid of the question, you're afraid. I'm not afraid of any question. So I think it's okay to to question what you're being told. I think it's okay to question even the idea of like, well, how do you know there's gravity or something like that, right? So I just want to say that I'm not here to sort of be rosy about the idea that I grew up in an era of truth. I grew up in an era of complete propaganda. I just didn't know it was propaganda. And they took the time to make it seem like it wasn't propaganda. Now we're in a time of overt propaganda. So I believe it's a different discussion. Back to my movie review. I went the other night very excited to see the movie Babylon. I purposely didn't read any of the reviews or watch any of the trailers. Once I heard it was about the 1920s Hollywood, which is an era of particular fascination for myself, I just wanted to go and enjoy the movie. I saw that the movie was three hours, so I thought, okay, great. It's going to be a spectacle. We're going to get into D.W. Griffith making, you know, Cleopatra in the desert and all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, What I found is something that's very common in modern life, which is someone takes a subject and completely, and excuse the pun here, Jen, reinvents the past to to (gasps) serve whatever master they want to serve. So I'm watching a 1920s movie, which has very little to do with the 1920s. In fact, the lead star, female star, who is really good in the role, actually, uh, no no slight to her, is dressed literally like she's in Scarface in the 80s. She has permed hair. 
She's wearing a very revealing dress, which people did not wear in the 1920s, not even close. There are people in, in positions of power that were not in positions of power in the 1920s commonly. They, they basically have made a movie about a time that never existed using a time that did exist, using the time that existed as a reason to draw people in, and then basically have subverted it with, with an interpretation that is so not even close to the original that it's almost like I sat there the whole movie thinking, why did they bother setting it in the 1920s? Why not set it on Mars in 2027 or something? It's, it's so weird to me. I call this the post-truth era. I'm not blaming President Obama, but he seemed to usher in what I would call the post-truth era where it became about, uh, and this is both sides of the political house, so I'm not making a political point, but it, it became a thing of like, this is the reality I want to believe in, so this is the reality that exists. It's not, hey, I understand that you believe in a different reality, I believe in a different reality, let's have a discussion or I think my reality is better than yours. It is, no, this is now the reality. And even if you present facts that are counter-narrative to the reality I'm presented, sorry, I will disregard that because I do not recognize the grounds or to use the woke term, the agency that you have to speak this. Do you want to talk to that a little bit? And then we can kind of dive into this kind of post-truth era discussion. Yeah. Well, first things first, I have to, I, I have to get this out of the way. You know, you're recording like 28 albums right now. Your fans know that. You're fresh off the spirits on fire tour. You have two kids, a new puppy, a million pets at home and a fiance and a podcast. How does Billy Corgan have time to see a movie like Babylon in theaters on opening night? I have to know. Well, it was 4 p.m. It was a 4 p.m. showing. <laughs> so it worked out between watching the movie and then going to have dinner. Right. I can't I believe I made know. it through. You know, what's funny is I can't believe I made it through the whole movie. And I've told a few people that I've talked to. It's not a bad movie. It's, it's not that it was poorly made. It was actually really well made. I just don't understand the need to um, completely whole cloth reinvent what's called somewhat recent times. I mean, I probably read 30 books on the 1920s Hollywood movie business, including people who invented it, whether you're talking about Adolf Zucker or Cecil B. DeMille. So it's very weird to me to have sort of a holographic knowledge of that time, best as I can tell from people who were actually there, and then watch a movie that completely just dis completely disregards that reality, invents a completely new one, and then passes itself off as being some sort of, I don't want to say progressive in the way that the, the term is used commonly, but progressive in terms of like moving, moving movies forward. Um, movies have always, you know, uh, John Wayne, you know, you know, is the hero at the end. Movies have always subverted reality. That's not the point I'm making. Right. I'm just, we're at a point now where movies are so subverting reality. Why are we even bothering with reality? Like why bother to spend the time to research make a movie about a particular era in Hollywood's history and then not even really stick to that history. I just don't understand that. That's beyond me. And to me, it seems emblematic. And this is what I guess what I'm after with you. Why do uh, media institutions, which movies are one of them, what is this new movement that I'm sensing? Or am I incorrect in sensing that there's this new movement in this post-truth era where now we're, now we're just blowing past anything and now we're just into completely subjective realities? Is, am I wrong in that? Or do you think I'm right no. in that? I actually think you're spot on. You know, I, part of why I left the toxic world of corporate media and I have zero desire to run back into the arms of it is because I have no interest in being a sheep. I mean, I, I never liked the idea of having co corporate overlords tell me who I can or cannot interview or telling me which talking points to steer away from, which is why I had no issue going out on a limb and starting my own show using podcasting as a medium to share stories with the world that you otherwise never would hear about on the news. So to me, and I know that you and I are very aligned in our thinking, Billy, it's important that everybody 
has a seat at the table as far as a voice. And if podcasting is sort of a way to create my own media by which to share my own vision of the world, you know, I say, Hey, I just woke up one day and decided to go for it and that I wasn't going to sip the corporate Kool-Aid anymore. So I get what you're saying about the truth and, and the narratives that these institutions are building. And I think it's dangerous. I think our first amendment's also under attack. Well, that's a different podcast, but um, we're sticking to the post-truth. Kyle, did you have a question? Hey, I was just going to say it really upsets me because you always tell me you hate going to the movies and here you are talking about movie reviews. But talking about reinvented, you had a, a kind of an epiphany that the the life you were leading, you just weren't feeling it anymore. And I think that's something that's a lot of people don't have the bravery to do. So I think it's amazing that you're like, I'm going to talk to other people that have done the same thing. And Joe Galley, the other co-host of this podcast, he used to be a local newsman. So the idea of people in that media thing, at some point you get burned, you start questioning things. Uh, I just wanted to say, what made you want to learn about other people just to see if, if the world itself was feeling the same vibe you were, or you just like how people operate? What, what made you do the podcast? You know, I, I knew what I wanted to do at a very young age. I knew that I had a I was a natural born storyteller. I knew that I was always fascinated with sharing people's stories, particularly inspirational ones. And I think where Billy and I closely identify, I mean, we, we identify in a lot of ways, actually having both been in, you know, toxic family dynamics, abusive relationships, and having both lost loved ones who suffer from addiction. You know, I've noticed on this particular podcast show that you guys are always, and your guests are always going back to the lyrics I'm still just a rat in a cage. And I think I found myself, Kyle, a rat in a cage in the corporate world in my early 20s, which isn't necessarily a healthy or great place to be in so young in life, especially if the work environment is so toxic. You know, Billy, you were discussing the pressures that young artists face on this show not too long ago with platinum recording artist Willow Smith. You said the more you succeeded, the more people tried to put you in a box I'm very much wired the same way as I'm sure you are, Joe, and you, Kyle. Um, I learned early on in my career that some people will only like you if you fit inside of their box, if you align with their political agenda. And I always say, don't be afraid to shove that box up there. I agree, Jen, 100% with that as well. And just to give another perspective from a different angle in journalism, I spent 10 years as a local, basically a general assignment reporter for various stations throughout the country. And where you really start to see how the agenda gets pushed, I mean, the boots on the ground reporters that are out there, I feel are doing a really good job trying to go out there and get facts and do the job and tell those stories. Where the manipulation comes in is is the pitch meeting. And when you're going into the, and then the news directors and the executive producers are the ones telling you, you know what, we're going to go with this story or we're not going to go with that story or we're going to go with this story. But I think for the vast majority of journalists that are out there in this country that are working every day, I mean, they are trying to go out there and do that. But you run into that wall, you run into that corporate structure and you run into the paradigms that they want you to talk about. And then you have to find ways to either manipulate the system from within or do what Jen has done and completely go outside of it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I have the utmost respect for local reporters. I know it's a grind. Listen, I had anchor reporter job offers post-college, you know, in middle America. And, you know, I decided to kind of forge my own path and, and come up here with the big dogs at the national level in New York City. But, you know, truth seekers in society are important. And the, the important work that reporters do shouldn't be understated. But you're right. We get into this dangerous territory of 
when, when you're in the corporate structure, like you said, pitch meetings, an example of this that I could share that your listeners might find interesting is, you know, for those who don't know in the news, there's a famous saying, well, if it bleeds, it leads. I'm sure you've heard that before. And so if, essentially, in other words, if there's no blood and guts, if there's no gore, if there's no nudity or any sexy element involved, we don't lead with it. Right. And that in and of itself, I think, is a bit misleading because, well, is it like considered like the lead story? And I did find myself like, hey, man, there's more important stories to be told it, there. There's just you get into this habit. So. For example, when I first started, and I, I won't name the network, but you can Google Google me and my name, but I was, a, I was a young PA and I was cutting video. There was a terrorist attack, a bombing happened at the Brussels airport. And I recall cutting some video to show our viewers as it was happening in real time. And my executive producer at the time walked over to me and said, oh, no, 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 it's not dramatic enough. It's not dramatic. You need to go back and you need to show blood. You know, you need to show people you know, carnage, you know, it was, it was sort of an eye-opening moment for me at the age of 24 sitting there like, okay, so I got to rewind and I got to find what's going to get ratings, right? What's going to get people to look up from their computers or their phones to look at the TV to see what's happening. And that's just what Billy was alluding to and sort of creating this alternate reality and, you know, Anyway, just an example from what I've experienced firsthand. I think when you bring up the pitch meeting, we, we all grew up where there was the evening news, the afternoon news. You had two newspapers a day. If you wanted information, you rely on those sources. And growing up, I always felt like the Walter Cronkites. There was a, a character of quality of just the individual where people pushed what mattered. And do you think the 24-hour news cycle, as things have happened, it's so much harder to find quality and just information on a daily basis to fill that gap. And then money gets involved. We have commercials, we have advertising now. News becomes entertainment. And then at a certain point, the people that get put in control of these products are the people that are gonna make the most money by being most sensational. Do you feel as if the 24-hour news cycle is what put us on a downward spiral? I mean, let's face it, the world's always been weird. But now you're filling in every gap you have with horrible information because that's just what people know. I do. I do. I think that it's the media in large part has contributed to the downfall of society. I know that sounds crazy saying that as a journalist, but I do think that it's we're, we're entering into dangerous territory with this 24 hour news cycle because it's kind of like anything can be news, right? I, you know, my days reporting in Auburn, Alabama as a young student reporter like, hey, pigs being born. And like, apparently that's breaking news in Auburn, Alabama. Whereas, you know, all you hear about now on Fox News is the incessant Hunter Biden stuff. So yeah, I I think that we need to sort of narrow our focus and focus on stories that are of actual importance. Um, that's always just been a point of contention for me. Let me try to bring this back to the center because I, I, think, I think this is where the, the greater uh, depth is. Everything we're talking about, my bad movie review, meaning my movie review wasn't that good. My bad movie review, your experiences in corporate media, Kyle's observations of the 24-hour news cycle. If you really look at it from my perspective, what we're talking about is we're talking about systems. What greenlit uh, the movie being made? I think I read somewhere it was an $80 million movie. Uh, some big stars in it. Brad Pitt's the, the most famous star in the movie. So that, that movie went through a lot of meetings. 
to build a major a corporate media empire. That's thousands and thousands of man hours, meetings, lawyers involved. So what you get is you get kind of a institutional energy moving in a particular direction. Yeah, a president can come in, and that includes the country politically, and kind of get at the helm of the ship and try to point in a different direction. But institutional cultures move at their own speed. We've all stood in the line at the post office with the person who can't be fired, who doesn't give a you-know-what about whether or not we get what we're looking for. I remember when Augustus needed a passport, we stood in line for, I don't know, 45 minutes while this person very slowly stamped every piece of paper angrily, kind of like, you're making me do this kind of vibe. We've all been there. They didn't expedite that process because you're Billy Corgan? Not at this post office, no. Oh, okay. So I guess the point I'm making is I think it's common, and I don't mean this derisively, it's common for us to talk about the smoke, but the real fire is institutional culture, which when it gets its claws into something, it tends not to move very quickly and it has its own reasons for what it does. I oftentimes talk about corporate culture at the uh, record company level. Uh, You have experience, of course, at corporate media and Joe, of course, uh, working in a tentacle of that system. I guess what I'm trying to say, and I'm trying not to pontificate about it because it's a little bit too in the weeds, as Dixie Carter used to say. Uh, Dixie Carter, former president of TNA, if you don't know that name. I guess what I'm trying to say is I think it's human nature to want to talk and gossip about the smoke, like, you know, the smoke of the fire. But I particularly try to stay focused on the fire. In essence, what is it about humankind at this point that is okay with the post-truth world? Why have we entered into a subjective uh, realities? Why are more than 50% of the subscribers of Disney Plus, why do they not have children? They're talking about most of the people buying toys these days are adults. Um, what is happening in our culture? I like your perspective. I certainly have my own. But what is happening in this culture where we're, we seem to going, be going into kind of an infantile kind of perspective where we don't want to hear things we don't want to hear. We only want to hear from sources that we trust in quotations. But what that really means is kind of telling us what we already want to hear. What, what is happening on an overall level, do you think, in this particularly? It's Western culture. I think it's easy to say America, but I think Western culture. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Billy. And I don't really think there's an easy answer for it, actually. I mean, I think to Kyle's point, this 24-hour news cycle, because people, systems, these institutions are so hungry to keep putting news out, left, right, forwards, backwards, you're getting so much information thrown at you and it's so much to process. And people, like I said, when you work for these institutions, they're so set in their ways, in their political ideologies and their beliefs. And if you don't fall in line with those particular viewpoints, um, like you're toast, they're not going to, they're not going to hire you. I mean, Billy, you shared with me at this, on my show reinvented when you started the band, people told you it was a bad idea, right? You said you were laughed out of boardrooms, you know, you came up with the name, the Smashing Pumpkins. People told you it was a bad idea. People told you that you would never make it out of Chicago. Just like people told me I would never make it to New York City in broadcasting. But you bet on your, yourself, you bet on your band, and you guys won. I mean, selling out Madison Square Garden, performing at the Hollywood Bowl. Everybody yeah, else's but, opinion. Well, sorry. Let me stop you. Sorry, no, let me stop you because, because I think this goes back to the rat in the cage point. You and I, on some level, are still qualifying our success based on other people's systems. And I guess that's kind of what I'm trying to poke at. Um, yes, it's a big deal to play the Holly Bowl. I was very honored to do it, to stand on a stage that Bing Crosby and Judy Garland and, you know, the four tops have stood on, right? I, that's awesome. 
But at the end of the day, we're still kind of stuck in working within systems that exist. Why do those systems exist? Because they're successful. They obviously have a repeat business, whether it's uh, concert stages, uh, the way the record business works. But if you look overall, overall, when you're talking about corporate media, their numbers are way, way down. They're way, mm-hmm. way down. Uh, when you when you look at um, the way uh, social media systems are working, uh, Facebook's numbers are currently way, way down. People, I think, have reached a, a point of, let's call it, they're fatigued with the assault of 24-hour-ism. We all get up and we jump on our phones and see what's happening, right? I do the same thing, so no judgment there. And yet, you see there's a fatigue going on, but there's nothing there to replace it because these corporate systems don't know how to pivot. And then you see the rise of, let's call it, third-party voices, whether it's a Joe Rogan or something, right? Uh, somebody can kind of work with outside the system. And Joe Rogan was criticized for going back into some sort of system by working for Spotify. And then you saw where people try to use Spotify against Joe Rogan to try to cancel Joe Rogan, right? See, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I think the solution to every question that we posit here is build your own system. Yeah. You have to accept that by building your own system, you're going to reach less people. But there's a new math out there, and Kareen, the social media director of the Pumpkins, makes a good case that it's more important to have an engaged person who has some loyalty to what you're doing because they feel they're respected within your system, that one of those persons is way more valuable than 10 clicks. And I think that economy is slowly kind of coming online. You see it with the way even people are advertising. Uh, so as a, as a podcaster, do you have a sense that, um, you know, in terms of economy of scale, do you like the impact that you're currently having because of you have integrity in what you're presenting? You have choice, of course, over uh, who you have on your podcast and, and the messaging therein, however honest or real it is. Do you feel good about your scale currently? I do, because I actually do feel like I'm putting something positive out into the world that our world is longing for today, that you stories like like yours, Billy, that you would otherwise never hear about on the news. So when I think the name of my show is Reinvented, and when I think of reinvention and what it means to me, I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes, not to sound cheesy here, but it is part of why I decided to start this podcast Ernest Hemingway said, there's nothing noble in being superior to your fellow man. True nobility is being superior to your former self, right? And I just think that it's never too late in life to reinvent the system, as you said, to reinvent yourself. As a society, you know, we put time limits on success. Like you need to be married at a certain age. You need to have kids by a certain age. One of my biggest pet peeves is the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I can't stand it. I rail against it every year when it comes out. I'm like, oh man, here, here we go. And, you know, I wrote an op-ed on it that was on Thrive Global. It went, went a, I wouldn't say viral, but it caught some attention because people need to know that some of these systems in place, these institutions, I know, I know you guys don't like cursing on your, on your podcast, but it's complete BS. I mean, success at an early age is something to be celebrated Billy, you were very successful early on in your career, and it's something to be excited about. But I think society tricks us into believing that young folks who achieve great success at an early age are otherworldly, unique, or magical in some way. But the truth is the vast majority achieve success much later in life. And I know, Billy, you said on my show, the journey should be hard. It should be hard. You know, and it, oftentimes it's a long, grueling one. While some might be ringing the bell at the New York Stock Exchange, you know, some might be ringing the cancer-free bell. So, you know, I think the message here is like, spoiler alert, 
you don't have to adhere to these systems, right? You don't have to be stuck in this corporate ideology. And you also don't have to conquer the world by the age of 30 to be successful. I believe I was on the Forbes 30 under 30 list. I could be wrong. Of course I was on were. one of those lists, <laughs> full disclosure. Also, you're speaking Kyle's language about reinvention. So um, high five to you for that. I agree with you entirely. And I just want to interject real quick that you just brought up an amazing part. I think people's lives, they put so much stress on them because they think they have to be something at a certain point. I think the future is don't ask kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Ask kids, what type of person do you want to be when you grow up? Love it. Well, Love it. I don't completely agree, but that's not because I disagree with what you're saying. What I would say is a slightly different qualifier. Who do you want to be, I think is fine. It's who do you want to be set against what? So when I said I wanted to be a rock star at age 16, my father oftentimes recounted that conversation to me when I told my father at a young age that I was going to be successful. In my mind, being successful was being on television, being on the cover of a magazine. So I compromised myself at different times to reach those indicators of success, and I've paid dearly for those compromises. Does that mean I would have been better off to not be on the cover of Rolling Stone? I don't think so, but because there's really, at that time, there was no alternate system. Now there would be, and so now we can make the case quite wholly that there might be different choices. So when you say to your kid, what do you want to be? And they say, I want to be a scientist. Well, we know that science is currently being corrupted by ideologies and outside forces which have nothing to do with science, particularly over the medical health crisis. So you would have to caution your kid, hey, by the way, yes, being a scientist is, is good, but you, know, you really need to consider what you might have to go through to become uh, successful in this particular field if you're going to take this particular route. I think I've belabored the point enough. We need to take a break. And when we come back, we will be playing the classic track Luna from Siamese Dream, chosen by our special guest today, Jennifer Eckhart. See you in a second. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? 
Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu.
Welcome back, music fans. We just listened to Luna off the 1993 album Siamese Dream. And Kyle, I understand for you, this hit pretty close to home. I'm literally stuck in Connecticut right now because I had a relationship fall apart that I thought was going to be the rest of my life. And I thought maybe the woman that said I was the love of her life, I'll show up on her doorstep, surprise her for the holidays. She's like, I can't wait for you to be here. Saw me and went three minutes went, yeah, I just don't feel what I thought I felt anymore. So listening to this song, I was like, wow, I'm a little melancholy about this. I'm listening to the lyrics. And then I read an interview with Billy where he says, I'm in love with someone that doesn't love me. And I'm like, great. I love this holiday. Get me the hell out of here. And then Jen, you said you picked this song. So I got to know, what was the catalyst for this song hitting for you? Oh, man. Oof. Sorry for picking a doozy for you. Didn't mean to drudge up old memories. Uh, Billy's got plenty of doozies in the catalog. These are fresh memories. These are fresh (laughs) memories for Kyle. Yeah, this literally just happened. I'm sorry, Kyle. There's plenty of fish in the sea. I I think you're going to be okay, buddy. But I am sorry to hear that. Um, A little little segue here. Uh, Going back to Luna, outside of Kyle's love life, um, aside from being a lifelong diehard fan, I am wearing my Zero shirt, after all. You know, I attended the Siamese Dream acoustic show here in New York City at the Beacon Theater in April of 2016. How's that for how's that for detail? Liz Fair opened for the band and I actually missed her. I had missed the opening act. And when I walked into the room, Billy was in the middle of playing my one of my favorite songs, Mayonnaise. And I mean, again, not to sound cheesy, but it felt like I was levitating in the room. And I'm sure a lot of listeners can attest that whoever has attended a Smashing Pumpkins show, it's like a spiritual experience, you know, and and think about that for a second. Siamese Dream, the album came out in 1993. Billy, I was three years old when that album came out. And yet even today, I still play that album on repeat on a regular basis. And it just shows you the impact it had on 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 our lives. It stands the test of time, your music. And, you know, the impact it's had on my life can't be understated. The lyrics, the band helped me through some pretty tough, lonely times in my life. I mean, and you could just tell that the entire band really pours their heart and soul into every album, every performance. Everything about the Smashing Pumpkins takes me back to a certain time, memory, place, and each album truly does feel like a soundtrack to my life. Um, I recently attended the Spirits on Fire tour, of which, Joe, I noticed you messed up on saying on the last episode. Um, <laughs> Speaking, I told, of journalism. <laughs> Speaking of fact-checking <laughs> journalism, I love seeing, though, how the band's sound has evolved from listening to Gish to your latest album, Autumn. It's just truly special and unique to see what you guys are putting out there today. And you know, I think well, like you. like most people, I identify with the Smashing Pumpkins music because the band was sort of an outlier, a misfit. And I, I view Billy as sort of an anti-conformist. He's just like the cool kid that you want to be friends with. He made being a weirdo chic in my view. And, you know, like Billy, I was a choir nerd in high school. I told him I had performed at Carnegie Hall back in the day, but I was also like student council president. I was varsity cheerleading captain and I didn't really know where I belonged. And whenever I listened to the Smashing Pumpkins, I felt like I belonged. Does that sound weird? No, I think, I think, thank you for all the kind words. (laughs) Um, What strikes me is, um, because I like to kind of knit these conversations together, what strikes me is that the band Siamese Dream 
is at a very interesting point. We're under tremendous pressure to um, succeed on all those terms that I just was talking about. And we did. We, we made the cover of the magazines, including someone trying to put me in a gorilla suit. So uh, that stuff did happen, and that was the result of that. And so it's beautiful that that music still connects with so many people. It about destroyed the band. I don't think the band was ever the same after that because of what we put ourselves through, or as some band members would say, what I put them through. I, of course, would say it's what which Vig and I put them through. All that being said, I think that's what's difficult for many people to navigate is, let's call it, and I'm using this term very, very loosely because it's not my favorite word in the world, the compromise of in order to get what we need or want, we must find something in ourselves which we would probably not find otherwise. That is the great specter of corporate life. Do I have to change who I am? Do I have to change my message? We were able to kind of thread the needle and maintain our integrity and maintain our sort of dignity in making an album like Siamese Dream by sort of burnishing the edges off of uh, the darkness uh, that we really are as a spiritual unit, the Smashing Pumpkins. And I think what's interesting about that particular period between, let's say, 92 and 97 is you see the two sides of the pumpkins. You see the like shined up, uh, go to church on Sunday version in Siamese Dream, and then you see the real sort of dark shadow thing that the band was able to cast, which is really more the sort of the root of the power. Let's call it the Harry Potter version of the band, which uh, in many ways has been more influential than the Siamese Dream version. But more people are comfortable with the Siamese Dream version because it fits more nicely into a particular narrative about 90s music coming-of-age tales and stuff like that. I'm not arguing against that. I'm the beneficiary of that. But I recognize, because people have tried to imprison me in that image, like they like me in the little uh, Superman shirt or some super, super slut shirt. It's not that I wasn't that guy. That guy was part of a much bigger version of myself. So if you look at my particular path, you can see where I've been rewarded for being parts of myself, but not wholly myself, and where I've been punished and mocked for being who I really am. And I think that's why so many people identify with me personally, because they understand that's a really weird struggle to be kind of made fun of for being who you are, but sort of being rewarded for like picking the right shoes on Tuesday or something. Kyle, you have a question, and usually your questions are quite good, so I'm excited. I like who you are, so that part's not about this. I wanted to ask you that, as somebody who's kind of just literally back hometown, listening to 90s music, meeting people he used to love, all this stuff, when you hear music, do you kind of get a nostalgic feeling? Are you brought back to where you were? And can you share some of the thoughts with us that you remember that go around this song and how your life was affected by it and how you created it? Sure, those great questions. I think, um, first of all, I'm not sentimental for the 90s at all. I have no sentimental sort of bone in my body. I think it was beaten out of me by the mid-90s. So that I, I don't look at that, that decade in a sentimental way. If I have any sentiment at all, it's for the band in happy times, you know, I can see us in different sort of studios, you know, having a laugh. Like, it's those type of memories. I would call them more like family memories. When I think of the 90s in a sort of positive way, it's more about how small the scene was. Like, the other day, somebody was talking about a show that whole open for the Pumpkins. I think it was in Sacramento, California, circa 92, somewhere around there. And uh, Courtney and Kurt were together, so they were very late driving up from L.A. I think we had to hold the show back for an hour and a half, two hours. And we were at a point where literally we were just going to go on and then if Hull wanted to play after us, but it was like, people, you know, the natives were getting restless. People were throwing stuff at the stage. So uh, Courtney finally uh, showed up with Kurt and there was only one backstage. So we were all together backstage. So that's a very interesting memory. I remember the Melvins were there. 
So it's like memories like that. But but again, we're talking about Kurt, Courtney, Billy, the Melvins, all in a small dressing room circa 92 or something like that in front of a crowd of about 500 people. My memories are more like that. They're not the MTV, you know, somebody else's version. They're more my version, more personal. And so that's kind of what goes on in my in my mental uh, thing. To answer your question about the song, the song does, does relate to uh, one of the people in the story. Before she was married, we were staying together at a hotel in London, and uh, there'd been a sort of a fight or something. And uh, the Pumpkins had a really big gig that night. And I was uh, really uh, struggling because I didn't want to play the gig because I was so upset about what had happened with this person. And so my way of um, dealing with it was meditating for the first time in my life, which was quite an interesting experience. I was able to talk myself off the ledge. And then in response to whatever I saw in my meditation, I wrote the song Luna, which is uh, really, I think, a beautiful song of, of contrition, forgiveness, and acceptance. I think we've all been in that situation where we really love someone for who they are, and at the same time, we realize that who they are is not good for us in a relationship. It's a weird, weird feeling. It's like, I really, really love who you are, and who you are is really not good for me. I like to say that love in its best form, particularly, let's call it the the marriage level form, and I know some people will disagree with the idea of marriage. I, I think it's it's like a flame that burns hot, but not too hot. And there are those relationships where the flame burns really hot, but it is not a good idea. And there are, of course, those relationships where there's no flame at all, and you literally knock yourself against the wall because you really do love the person and you don't get that kind of, people call it a spark or something. You don't get that thing that you need to animate you, which is another form of addiction, but we can talk about that on a different podcast. Let me just say, (laughs) Billy, you know how to write a good love song, man. Who knew you were such a romantic? I used to be a romantic. In fact, uh, in working on the new album, which will follow Autumn, uh, because it's a bit of a, we're going back to straight guitars for a while. Uh, in the pumpkins, which I know people who don't like the synthesizer end of the band will be happy about. But in in sort of re-embracing some of those themes, I find myself thinking about some of the thematics that went with guitar music in in my past. Um, let's call it uh, what the what the Beatles used to call uh, boy girl songs. It's hard for me because I still think that way, but I don't feel that way, and I'm not sure. And this is this would be a great uh, conversation for a podcast down the road whether the love that I believed in then, so let's use Siamese Dream Era as an example, whether the love I believed in then was a form of addiction and I was just reacting against the addictions that I had and that now I actually know what love is and it's not the addictive form, which is intense and agonizing, highs and lows, but sort of more steady and patient and kind. That's kind of where I would leave it. But I I definitely feel that that version of me has been beaten out uh, by many people long before I met Chloe. Kyle wants to know what love is. He wants he wants to know. But look, let, no, in all seriousness. All right, well, let's, 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 let's stop. This is my podcast now. Um, here's how we're going to end, okay? We're going to, because we love Kyle so much. So this is how we're going to end this podcast. Uh, we'll take turns. Joe, you go first. We're going to, in 60 seconds or less, we're going to explain to Kyle what love is in the, in the romantic sense. I did have a question about Luna, though. I'm not allowed to throw that in real quick. We'll do your question at the end. Okay. There's, there's your spoiler teaser okay. alert. Love is true acceptance of yourself along with the acceptance of your partner, whether they have flaws and the trepidation and all the things that you're going to deal with throughout your life. But knowing that you can be yourself with that other human being and they can reciprocate that in fashion. And then knowing that there's going to be that level of connection that's there. And love is also work. It's, you know, there is the puppy love, the things that start. And as Billy was saying, there's the flame that burns too hot and ends up burning itself out. 
So you have to maintain that. And the maintaining of that level of whether it's intimacy or commitment is, is very important to find, you know, where that middle ground is. And then you continue on in that highway of life as, as I'm doing now as, you know, as relatively newly engaged, doing all the planning for the wedding and all that stuff and looking at this future that'll likely involve having children and whatnot like that. So it's all very exciting, but at the same point, you have to just kind of stay grounded and stay committed to that person. That would be my 60 seconds on love, which I think Kyle's going to have to listen to when we play this thing because he dropped his signal a second ago and he lost my dissertation, but that's okay, Kyle. You can catch it when it airs. It's par for the course. I can't even win on just hearing about love. Jennifer? Uh, you know, I have, I have a pretty cynical outlook on love. Sorry, not to, not to depress Welcome to the podcast. I know not to depress your, your viewers and listeners, but I, I've always said, look, happiness, true happiness does not exist. It exists in cats. I am the crazy cat lady. And I actually, I, I actually prefer animals to humans. Um, I know that that's not uncommon. Um, but look, if you, you got to laugh in life, if you could find somebody who can, help you in even the darkest of moments, sort of bring you back to yourself and you feel at home with that person. I think that that would be maybe my definition of love. Um, but again, happiness only exists with cats. So, okay. There you go. Um, I'm going to say <laughs> something that sounds counterintuitive to the discussion, but I, I, I believe this to be true. I spent much of my life, you know, let's call it the adult version of it, uh, looking for something in someone that I wasn't willing to look for in myself. When I was finally willing to look for those things in myself, I was surprised that not only did I find them, but that I no longer needed to look for those things in another. Uh, I think the most beautiful analogy for love and partnership is if your cup isn't full, you can't really share uh, what you have. I think if you endeavor to fill your own cup, that becomes very attractive to someone else because they feel that you're sort of not coming at them from a place of sort of desperate need, but sort of of desire. As strange as it sounds, working on yourself and focusing on yourself, getting your own mind, body, spirit in alignment. And then when you meet that person, you don't have any attachments. You don't have any sort of, you don't have a limp, <laughs> a mental limp. You know what I mean? You're, you're coming at them whole and that then you can begin a journey that's like the best version of yourself with hopefully the best version of them. Just a quick addendum. When I started focusing on myself, I started attracting better people into my life. When I was desperate, and I would classify that as a form of addiction, I was no different than someone on the street trying to score heroin, and I didn't care what grade of heroin it was. So I was willing to compromise my own integrity to get that taste of whatever I was looking for. And I invited a lot of people in my life who didn't belong in my life. It's not to say they were bad people. They just didn't belong in my life, or they weren't worthy of my life. Uh, and they did a lot of damage, and I allowed them to do damage because I really believed that I sort of deserved it. And that's another podcast in itself. Okay, to end this uh, this uh, deep uh, deep dive discussion today, uh, you get the last question, Jen. You know, just going back to the song Luna, to me, the song sounds like a man who's afraid to love, but then he finds love and has to break the rules that he set in the first place for fear of getting hurt. That's that's my interpretation. I don't know if I'm correct in that or not, but I I do love the effortless and the yearning natural sound to this song. I do get goosebumps every time this song comes on. To me, Hummer, mayonnaise, 
and Luna are like the holy trinity of Siamese dream. Um, I know that's a bold statement, but I made it. That's my opinion. But one question I had for you, Billy, and it's something that I noticed. And only recently did I notice this. Um, At the end, you repeat, I'm in love with you. But then you say, and you, and you. So I thought that was a little interesting because at first you think that this is like an intimate song that you're singing to somebody, but then you're like, I'm in love with you and you. Did anybody else get that? Was that put in there on purpose or just trying to figure out how to interpret that? Well, just the fact you're asking the question is exactly why I would put something like that in because it sort of belabors like you think the whole song is necessarily centered on two people. Maybe it's centered on more than two people because you get into the existential version of, am I talking about myself? I believe the best love songs can be monastic, meaning they don't have to be about another. You know, many people say the greatest love that you'll ever experience in in your life is a love for God. Um, If you talk to people who are spiritually fulfilled, they don't look like they're lacking for love. They have a shine in their eyes and their heart is full and they're oftentimes engaged in works of charity for others. So maybe the Western conception of love always being about another uh, first and then yourself second uh, is, is a bit flawed. So maybe I'm just kind of messing with the idea of who is the you in the song, because it just might as well be me. Uh, Courtney always used to say, "Why? who are all these chicks that you name in the song? You know, there's all these names like Tashila and and I'd say it's all just kind of a, a, a mishmash of, uh, you know, let's call it the idealized person. I'm just speaking to the idealized person. Because when you get into the canon of immortality that is being enshrined into a song, just like my movie on some level, a uh, movie review, you're sawing off the edges and you're creating an idealized state. And you have to do it in under three and a half minutes generally. So, oh, somebody's at the door. That means it's time to go. Joe, Kyle, Jennifer, thank you for being on the 33 podcast. This is William Patrick Corgan. We'll see you soon. Goodbye. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cashback on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck yeah, and some waves. So we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Do you love fashion? 
Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.